Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. Let's get into Esther. Esther chapter 7. Esther chapter 7. And uh, if you found that on your phone or if you found that on your Bible, uh, if you have that, go ahead and stand to your feet for me and we'll read. And again, if you're a guest or visitor here, we don't always up down. We won't up down the rest of the morning, right? But we specifically stand when we read our scripture, just symbolically to remind us, this is now God speaking. And believe it or not, even though this was written thousands of years ago, he's speaking to a group of people gathered in a room in Bloomington, Minnesota right now. Chapter 7, it says this. So the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet. On the second occasion while they were drinking wine, the king again said to Esther, Hey, tell me what you want, Queen Esther. What is your request? I'll give it to you, even if it's half the kingdom. And Queen Esther replied, If I've found favor with the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my request, I ask that my life and the lives of my people will be spared. For my people and I have been sold to those who would kill, slaughter, and annihilate us. If we had merely been sold as slaves, I'd remain quiet. For that would be too trivial a matter to warrant disturbing the king. Who would do such a thing, King Xerxes demanded? Who would be so presumptuous as to touch you? Esther replied, this wicked Haman is our adversary and our enemy. And Haman grew pale with fright before the king and queen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And uh, God, we believe now that you want to speak to us. And we're anticipating what you're going to say. And Holy Spirit, we need you to be our teacher this morning. We need you to speak the words that you desire. Speak to us, God. Reveal yourself. Show us your will, Father God. Do it in a way that draws us closer to you and uh, a way that propels us then to, to live as your people. Do this, Father, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Well, I want you to think back to a time in your life. Have you ever been at a point in your life or at a place in your life where you just said, man, I feel hopeless? I feel hopeless. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know how this is going to happen. I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I don't know what to do from here. And here's the thing. It may be a hopeless situation where it's acute situation. Boom, right now. And that situation is acute. And sometimes, if we're really honest, sometimes hopeless is, that doesn't mean death for me right now, but why do I keep going? Like, where is this going? And we get into those really hopeless situations, and we ask sometimes ask this question, why would I persevere? Like, why would I? Like, why would I? Like, how is this ever going to be a good thing? How is, how is this ever, anything good come out of this? But this morning, I don't just want us to see why would I persevere. Because I think if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, if you use the label, if you say, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, a question that I also want us to look at this morning is, why should I? Why should I? And we're going to see this morning that you should, you should persevere. I remember, uh, I'm, admittedly, I'm a fairly big Viking fan, and so Sunday's my schedule during the football season. I get done here on a Sunday, and then I go home, and usually what I'll do is I might get a bite to eat, I might take a little nap, we usually go for a walk, and then, a little down the stretch, then I turn on the Viking game. And my strategy usually is I don't want to sit for three and a half hours. Like, I just don't want to kill three and a half hours. But usually what I do is I try to catch the fourth quarter. Because the beauty of catching the fourth quarter is if you turn the TV on and they're just getting crushed, boop, I'm moving on. Like, I got other things to do, and I'm not going to waste time watching them get crushed. 
But if you turn on the fourth quarter and you're like, oh, snap, this is a good game. This is a good game. Well, what did you really want to see? You want to see the ending, right? Uh, it was about a year ago. It was a year ago this past October, last season. And uh, I remember getting home, and I, just, and I fixed something to eat, and I thought, oh, I'm going to turn the game on. And I turned the game on. It's early. It's early. And they're getting beat already. They're getting beat. And I thought, ah, oh, really, man? Come on. Come on, y'all. We got to get going. We got to get going. And they just kept getting beat worse. And they kept getting beat worse. They were playing the Colts. They just kept getting beat worse. And at halftime, it was 33 to 0. Now, 33 to 0, this is me. This is just me, just so you know. If I'm down 33 to 0, if I'm a coach, yeah, I go to the officials right as they're walking on the half. I drop the white flag, and then I'm trying to negotiate getting the officials payback for the second half. Like, I don't want to pay you guys. Let's just cut it right here. What do you do in those situations? When it's hopeless, when it's hopeless, you know that nothing good is going to come out of this. Number one, why would you persevere? What would make you think that there's any hope? And number two, why should you, as a follower of Christ, because I believe we should, and I think you're going to see it, why should we persevere? We're going to see that in Esther chapter 7 and 18. Now, I'm going to get you caught up just a bit, so I'm going to give you a quick review. I won't get into the whole thing, but just so you, you have the facts that you need to know. Number one, remember, this is about 480 B.C., 480 B.C., and the Jews are living as captives in the Persian Empire. This all happened originally back in about 600 B.C., about 120 years prior to this. They were taken captives. The, the Babylonians came and invaded Israel, and they took captives, and they took them back to the Babylonian Empire. But now the Babylonians have been overtaken by the Persians, and so you still have a lot of these Jews. These Jews aren't old enough to have been brought over. They've most likely been born into captivity, and they're living in the Persian Empire. So here's kind of the stars of your show. Number one, you have Esther. Esther is a young Jewish girl born into the Persian Empire. She's Jewish, but nobody knows it yet, and that's very important. Uh, not only is she a young Jewish girl living in, in captivity, but her parents are both dead, and they've died when she was very, very young, so she's grown up as an orphan. Now you have Mordecai. Mordecai is actually Esther's cousin. He feels more like her uncle because he's a much older cousin, and Mordecai, also a Jew, is the one who has raised Esther from early childhood, and he's the one who's made sure to tell her, don't let anybody know you're a Jew, right? Then you have Xerxes. Now, Xerxes is the king. He's very fickle. He's very insecure. He's a little cuckoo sometimes. But here's the deal. He's the king. And then you have Haman. Haman is the villain. He's the villain of the story. He's a Persian. Now, just so you know this, if you read the story to Jewish audiences, when you say the name Haman, everyone boos. Right? So, for instance, then there's Haman... Right. And he's second in command. By the way, that was really good. He's second in command. We don't know how he got to second in command, but the, the Persian king has named him second in command. And here's why that's significant. Because when you're second in command, the king has said, everybody is supposed to bow down to you. But Mordecai refuses to bow down. And it makes Haman, it makes him really angry. And he's so infuriated that when he sees Mordecai refuse to bow one time, he thinks this, and he finds out that Mordecai's a Jew. And he says this, it's not enough that Mordecai should suffer. I want to make sure that all Jews in the entire empire are killed. They're going to be annihilated. They're going to wipe, be wiped out. Men, women, children. This is what's going to happen. And so essentially, Haman, he kind of gets the king to sign this decree. He tricks him into it. And the king signs this decree that says, hey, 
all the Jews are going to be annihilated, right? Now, Mordecai finds out about this, and he goes into mourning, and he tells Esther. And he says to Esther, very interesting, he says, hey, Esther, who knows? Maybe as a young Jewish girl, maybe, because it's bizarre that this young Jewish girl is the queen, he says, maybe God has made you queen for such a time as this. And so now Esther is going to work, and she's been meeting with the king and Haman. She's been meeting with them and trying to get them to reverse this decree. So she's had one banquet with them all already. And at the banquet, the king says, Esther, tell me what you want. And she says, I'll tell you what. What I really want is, I want you to have a second banquet with me, right? Okay, so at the second banquet, she's going to reveal, like, she wants this decree reversed. So here we are at the second banquet now. And the scripture says this, on this second occasion, this second banquet, they, while they, who's they? They is Esther, the king, and Haman. Exactly. So while they were drinking wine, the king again says to Esther, okay, tell me what you want, Queen Esther. I mean, what's your request? I'll give it to you. Even if it's half the kingdom, I'll give it to you. And so Esther replies, and she says, if I found favor with the king, if it pleases the king to grant my request. Okay, she's about to lay it out. So here it is. Here's her request. She says, if I please the king, if I, if I please the king, I ask that, oh, wait a minute. My life, and here's a key phrase, and the lives of my people. You understand what she's saying here? I'm Jewish. King doesn't know that. She said, I'm asking that my life and the life of my people will be spared. And the king's like, well, who would threaten you? Who would threaten you? Who, who, who would ever do anything to my queen? Who would threaten you? And so now she's going to tell him. And remember who's in the room. Remember who's at the banquet. Keep that in mind. And then... Esther replies, who would do it? This wicked Haman is our adversary and our enemy. And Haman grew pale with fright before the king and queen. So you got to understand this. They're all three standing there. And the king says, who would touch my queen? Who would do this? And she's like, him, him, that's the guy. And she outs him right there. Well, the king is infuriated. The king is just ticked with a capital ict, right? So he, he gets up. And he storms out of the room, and he goes out into the courtyard, and he's walking around, and he's just trying to blow off some steam, and the king is angry, the king is angry. And you can see Haman, you can see Haman still in the room, and he's like, oh, this is not going to go well, this is not going to go well. So he's begging for his life, he's pleading for his life. The queen is right there, and he's begging her, and he's pleading, he's begging her, and he's pleading. And as he's begging and pleading, the scripture says, in despair, he fell on the couch where queen was, she's reclining on the couch. And he's begging to plead, and he falls right on the couch while, get ready for this, just as the king is returning from the palace garden. And the king is thinking in his head, are you out of your mind? You were going to kill my queen. You're going to kill all her people. And now you jump on her? Are you kidding me? And so one of the king's servants is standing right there. And he's like, oh, hey, uh, I have an idea. And so Harbona, one of the king's eunuchs, says, um, Haman has set up, a, oh, sorry, thank you, thank you, has set up a sharpened pole that stands 75 feet tall. Do we remember this? Do you remember this from last week? What was he going to do with that pole? He says this, he put it in his own courtyard. He intended to use it to impale Mordecai. P.S., the man who saved the king from assassination. Mordecai, earlier in the book, heard a plot. And there were two guys that wanted to kill the king. And Mordecai found out about it, and he tells the queen. And the queen makes sure that Mordecai gets credit for it. He has saved the king's life. 
And what this Harbona is now saying is, oh, you know what? He had this plan, and he was going to impale. The guy who saved your life, he was going to... And by the way, a couple people have mentioned this to me since last week when we talked about the impaling. Um, as delicately as I can, they don't impale you this way. It would come... Yeah, anyway, so with that in mind, it says the man who saved the king from assassination. And then, he says, then impale Haman on it, the king ordered. So the king now has flip-flopped that whole situation. Mordecai was supposed to get impaled, and now it's not going to be Mordecai. Okay, the queen isn't done, because the queen still has an agenda. She's still got to plead and beg for her people. So the story goes on, and it says, so they impaled Haman on the pole he had set up for Mordecai, and the king's anger subsides. But now the queen goes to work. It says, then Esther went again before the king, and she falls down to the king's feet, and she's begging him with tears. What for? To stop the evil plot devised by Haman, the Agagite, against the Jews. Now she's begging the king. She's begging the king. And so what does the king do? The king acquiesces. He says, okay, we'll do that. So he gets Mordecai, and they're going to draw up this decree, right? And it says this. So on June 25th, the king's secretaries were summoned, and a decree was written exactly as this time Mordecai, who happens to be a Jew, as Mordecai dictated. It was sent to the Jews, to the highest officers, the governors, the nobles, all the 127 provinces stretching from India to Ethiopia. Well, what does this decree say? Well, it says this, the king's decree gave the Jews in every city authority to unite to defend their lives. They, now, the Jews now, the Jews, the Jews were allowed to kill, slaughter, and annihilate anybody of any nationality or province who might attack them or their children or their wives and to take the property of their enemies. Like, this whole thing is flipped around because the Jews were supposed to be annihilated. And now they're saying this, if anyone attacks you, if anyone attacks your wife, if anyone attacks your children, you have the right to defend yourselves, you can unite, you can gather, and you can actually annihilate them. Wow! I mean, this is, this is a pretty crazy, right? So then, you need to catch a few details. So then, Mordecai left the king's presence. Now watch what he's wearing. He's wearing a royal robe. It's blue and white. He's got a great crown of gold on. He's got this outer cloak of fine linen. And it's not just that he's walking out of there in great shape. It goes on and it says, and the people of Susa are now celebrating the new decree. All the people, all the people, they're not all Jews. This is the Persian Empire. And the Jews in that area were filled with joy and gladness, and they were honored everywhere. Really? Really? Like, like this is, everything, this, 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 what we're seeing is a complete reversal of everything. This whole book of Esther is about reversal. I want you to consider a few of these. First of all, Esther was born into captivity. She's uh, an orphan. Now she's the queen. I mean, that, it's divine reversal. Mordecai was wearing a sackcloth and ashes previously. He was in great mourning. What's he wearing now? A robe, a royal robe, blue and white, a, a, a cloak linen, a, a fine linen. He's got a crown on his head. It's complete divine reversal. Haman, he made plans to impale Mordecai. Oh, oh, what happened? He got impaled 
on the same pole. Yeah, do we cheer for that? Maybe we cheer for that. All the Jews were supposed to be annihilated. Now what they're saying is this. Oh, no, 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 no. No. If anyone tries to attack you, your wife, your children, you actually have the permission to unite together and to annihilate them. It's, it's been complete reversal. And further it says, and all the Jews were in mourning. Now the Jews are all celebrating. Man, there's a couple thoughts that I want you to walk out of here with today. But one of the really simple thoughts is simply this. Our God is a God of reversal. Our God can reverse things. Our God doesn't make things just a little bit better. Hey, it's not as terrible as it was. Our God actually can reverse things. I would ask you this. What's your situation this morning? Because some of you are in really tough situations. You're in, you're, you're in hopeless situations. And according to man, those situations are hopeless. Not according to God. Our God has the right and he has the power at any time. He can reverse any situation. Who's your lost one who's just totally walked away from the Lord? They've turned their back on God. They're angry at God and maybe for some good reasons, right? That, that is not a hopeless situation. God captures hearts and he can return people. Maybe you have a child who's totally walked away. God will return the hearts of the children back to their fathers. That's the God of Scripture. That God is a God of reversals. That God can, God can do amazing things. What is your financial situation today? And how hopeless is it? Hmm. Our God is a God of reversal. God can reverse those things. And so again, a couple things. I would just say, number one, just know this, that God can reverse any situation. We, sh we should know that. God can reverse any situation. And I would, I would encourage you, if that's you this morning, and you're in that place, number one, gather together with the body of Christ and pray about it. Spend time praying about it. Seek the wisdom of God. What does God want you to do? Because you have a part in this as well. But God can reverse any situation. There's no question about that. But I want us to see more than just that today. I want us to see the more that, that, that God can just reverse any situation. Because I would say this. Let's, let's take the, the hardest situation that's imaginable, like the worst situation that's imaginable, and God reverses it. It's awesome. It's awesome. It would be great. We would give testimony. We would give praise to God. And I would still say this. That situation is still temporary. Do you understand what I'm saying? Man, you had the worst financial hardship. You lost your job, whatever, whatever. And God can reverse that. And it's temporary. It's still temporary. This life is temporary. I'm not saying it wouldn't be a great thing. I'm just saying that situation would be temporary. I mean, look in, look in, look in Esther's history. Look in her past, right? Take, take, for instance, a guy like Moses, the greatest leader that the nation of Israel has ever happened. Remember when Moses took the slaves and he led them out of Egypt and Pharaoh said, fine, go. And they sent him out with gold and everything, great reversal. And then all of a sudden Moses is backed up against the Red Sea and the Egyptian army is bearing down on them with their chariots. Like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? This seems like a hopeless situation. Moses turns around, holds his staff up, over, splits the Red Sea. I love the language. It says that the, that the Israelites went through on dry ground. That was intentional. That was God. Like, the sea has been there for, you know, forever, and they walk through on dry ground. And as soon as they're getting through, here come the Egyptians just barreling down on them, right? And what, is it, what happens? The sea closes up behind them. And the Egyptians are wiped out. Amazing reversal. They're all gone. They're all gone. What about the next leader? What about Joshua? Joshua is the one who led them into the promised land. Took the Israelites, walked them into the promised land. They had some amazing victories. Situations where they, they had no business winning that battle. And God reversed things. And they're gone. And you have a leader like David. David is the greatest king in Israel's history. 
He's questionable at times, that's for sure. And he had some amazing victories, some amazing battles. God was glorified and God was praised. And David's gone. David's gone, right? But, but then there was another situation, and, and this is the other piece that I want you to see this morning. And you need to realize this, that number one, God can reverse any situation, but number two, God can actually reverse the eternal. Because the things here on earth are great. They're awesome. They, they amaze us. But have you ever thought about this? God can actually reverse the eternal. Now, I want you to see something from our story, and then I'll take you somewhere else in the New Testament. But in our story, we saw this in the book of Esther. This is toward the end of chapter 8. Everything's getting reversed. And the king takes off his signet ring. Very important, his signet ring. It's a ring that they would wear, and it had some kind of logo on it or emblem on it. And it would be the king's signet ring. And it would have his emblem on it. And he, the king now took that away, and he puts it on his own hand. And now he's taking it off his own hand, and he's giving it to Mordecai, which he had taken back from Haman. And he gave it to Mordecai. Mordecai now wears that. That, that. that seems a little insignificant, except to know this, that a signet ring means two things. It means two things. It means the authority. You know how the authority king, right? And you know how the identity of the king. Listen to me. God wants to change the authority in your life, and he wants to change your identity for eternity. God's not just about like, hey, I hope you all have a good time while you're there. I hope your life is really comfortable. No. God's more than, than that. God, God wants to reverse your identity. You know what identity was? We're born sinners. We're born into a sinful world. You can say, I was a pretty good person. First of all, no, you're not. Number two, <laughs> we're born into sin. We're all born into sin. And that becomes our identity. And God says, I want to change your identity. You're going to be known as a daughter of God of the Most High. You're going to be known as a son of the Most High God. He wants to change that identity. Put his signet ring on your finger. You now have the authority of Christ in your life. You have the identity of Christ in your life. Yeah, God can reverse any situation, but more importantly, he can reverse the eternal. Remember this one? Remember when Jesus was crucified? First he's born as a human. He comes to earth in human form. Then he lives a sinless life. And then he, he starts to gather these followers, and they're all gathering around him, and they're, they're excited, they're excited, they're excited. There's still no Christianity, by the way. There's no Christianity. And then Jesus is hung on a cross. There's still no Christianity. He's killed. He's dead. He's buried. There's still no such thing as Christianity. And the moment that he's crucified, all of a sudden, everybody was so excited. And now they're like, bummer. Just wasted three years of my life. Three years of my life. What a drag. I mean, they were distraught. The disciples, who he told them over and over and over again, I'm going to raise from the dead, they don't remember that. They're totally distraught. Then Jesus raises from the dead, and the next morning the women go to the tomb. Do you remember this? And the angel says to the women, I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. That Jesus was crucified. But they go on and they say, he isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Just as he said he would. That's a reversal. And that reversal means there's eternal reversal for the rest of us. See, uh, you got to get this. God's greatest reversal is our eternal reversal. We were sinners born into sin. And now those sinners who were born into sin have the opportunity through Christ to spend eternity 
Instead of in hell, which is what we deserve, eternity in heaven, in the glory of God. The greatest thing God can ever reverse is your eternity, your identity. And I would say that, man, if you're here and you're, you're maybe you've been coming here for a while and you say, I don't call myself a follower of Christ. I've never confessed my sin like folks in the baptism tank have. I've never surrendered my life to Jesus. I've never declared he's going to be the Lord of my life. We want you to. I, I want you to desperately. I want you to spend eternity in heaven with the Father. I want you to be rescued and saved from hell. I mean, God's greatest reversal is your eternal reversal. That's the greatest thing that could ever happen to you, regardless of, regardless of what your situation is here, regardless of how terrible it could be, and regardless of how amazing it would be if God flipped that. The greatest reversal would be your eternal reversal. But now I just want to show you one more point. I want to show you one more point. And, and, and at church, I, I, I hope you know this. I'm talking to myself just like I'm talking to y'all. I'm, I'm trying to light a fire under myself as I'm trying to light a fire under the church. I think this is an area of neglect for me. And, and so I want to point this out to you. This is back in, this, in the book of Esther. It says this, after the king declares this new decree, it says, in every province and city, wherever the king's decree arrived, the Jews rejoiced and they had a great celebration. And they declared a public festival and a holiday. Now watch this. As a result, many of the people of the land became Jews themselves. Crazy reversal. For they feared what the Jews might do to them. Now that, that phrase at the end makes it sound like, well, maybe they didn't have good, 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 good motives for deciding to follow after this God. But what that phrase really means is they saw what God was doing in the lives of these Jews and they wanted to participate in that. And, and I want to cast some vision for us. Because I'll tell you this, and this is my neglect, and I'll own it. I'll own every bit of it. That sometimes what's happened, church, is we become these spiritual turtles. And we got saved. And now this is what we do. We just pull everything into the shell. And we're just trying to survive until we can go to heaven. Can I just tell you this? That is the most un biblical thought you and I were never saved so that we could just endure and last until we get to spend glory for eternity in glory with the Father that, that is so unbiblical that, that, that's, that's as wrong as it can be and I need to light a fire under me and I need to light a fire under the church I know the whole COVID thing was weird I mean I get that I know some of you are still just coming back to church P.S. if you're online man we want you with us we want you to worship with us we want you to be part of the community but we want you because we have work to do we weren't saved just so we could be comfortable knowing that someday we'd go to heaven let me try to say it this way. Our eternal reversal, it's not an exclusive reversal. It's not just about us. You weren't saved because just for you. That's not it. And so we said this. We said that God can reverse any situation. That's true. Whatever your situation is, God can reverse it. If it's really terrible, God can reverse it. Whatever the relationship issue is, whatever the financial issue is, whatever the health issue is, God can reverse it. He has the power and the right to do that. We said, number two, God can reverse the eternal. And for many of you, he's done that. God has reversed your eternal situation. You know that someday you'll be in glory with the Father forever. You already know that. But then let me just say this for number three. God wants you to be a reverser. 
That's God's real intent. That's one of the reasons you were saved, is to, to go do the work of that. I mean, I, 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 I got it. Like, let me just ask you this. When was the last, just think about this. Don't let me say anything out loud. When was the last time you brought somebody to the church? I'm talking to me too. I mean, not just when was the last time you had an actual spiritual conversation with somebody, right? Because that's where it's got to start. But let's just make it simple. When was the last time you invited somebody to church? When was the last time they came with you? What are we doing about it? Are, are we just going to be a club for us? If that's the case, I'm gone. I'm out of here. Uh, I, I don't think most of you want to be a part of that. There are people who don't know our God. They don't know our God, but they know us. Like, like they know you, they know me. You and I were not saved so we could be comfortable. We weren't saved so we could just escape hell and then just hang out. Maybe someday, someday, finally, we'll get to go to heaven. All right, so here's your big so what today. Reverse to reverse. Your eternal, your eternal situation was reversed so that you'd be a reverser. We've been reversed so that we can go reverse. What are we doing about it? Are you thinking about it? Are you praying about it? Are you praying for someone? Is there somebody on your mind? Is there somebody you know that doesn't know Jesus? Have you ever had a conversation with him? Have you started having talk, had that conversation? You know, like, have you started that kind of a talk? That, that's, that's one of the reasons Ben is going to be here. Because, let's see, how do, how do I talk to those people in a post-Christian world? How would I identify with them? How would I talk? That's why Ben's going to be here. That's why we're doing the whole Saturday event. We're going to preach more about it in February. Right? Reversed to reverse. Just as a, just as a footnote, because I don't want to leave you hanging. So I'm sitting there and, man, I just, I watch this football game and it's 33-0 at half. And I think, I just about can't take any of this. Ah, I'm a glutton for punishment. Okay, I'll watch a little more. Vikings come out to start of the second half. It's 33-7. Then the Colts, they kicked a field goal. It's 36-7. Then it was 36-14. 36-21. Man, maybe, maybe. 36-28. Vikings scored a touchdown. 36-34. They still had to go for two points in this. On the extra point. Oh, it was good. 36-36. Went to overtime. Vikings field goal. And they won 36-39. And God can reverse any situation. Your terrible situations, your eternity, and just so we remember this, the eternity of other folks. That's our business. That's our business. Let's stand and be dismissed this morning in prayer. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the time to worship. God, the time to celebrate baptisms. God, the time to just participate in communion. We just declare openly, great is our God. Great is our God. Great are you, Father God. And we praise you. We praise you this morning. We worship you. We worship you, God of creation. Father, we thank you for this story. We thank you for knowing, God, just tucking that away in our hearts. You can reverse our situations. You have the right. You have the power. But more than just the temporary world, God, you can reverse our eternal situation 
And for many of us today, you have, Father. For many of us, you have. We're grateful for that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord God. And now, God, I'm, planning, I'm praying, light a fire under this church. Light a fire under the churches of this community. Light a fire under the believers in the Twin Cities, God. Help us to remember that there are other people who don't know you, but they know us. And so, God, help us to be a people who are concerned about the eternity of others. We want for others what you've given to us, God. You've been so good, and it is so good. How could we not want that for others? So, God, light a fire under us this morning, Lord. Light a fire. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your goodness. Now, God, we want that for others. So this morning, Father, as we leave this building, as we leave this building, God, would you help us to go be the lost, be the, be the church to a lost world that desperately needs a Savior. Thank you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.